world scene, you know that Iran is continuing to develop its nuclear capabilities. Russia has now occupied Crimea militarily. And we know that, uh, just heard on the uh, radio the other day, that 300,000 Japanese are still homeless and cannot return to their homes because of the Fukushima radiation in that particular area. That was just three years ago when that 9.0 magnitude earthquake took place on March 11th, just, just about three years ago. And yet 300,000 still cannot return to their homes because of the radiation that's there. Then reading in the newspaper the other day, I read about the tragic uh, situation in South Sudan where 86% of the women in South Sudan are illiterate and their chances for, um, they're more likely to die in childbirth than to receive an education. And then the Haiti earthquake occurred uh, January 12, 2010 that left 1 million, some estimate 1.3 million homeless in that earthquake, and that was uh, just four years ago. And four years later, 300,000 are still homeless in Haiti. God has called us to be watchmen. You heard Mr. Nathan refer to that in the uh, sermonette. Ezekiel, the third chapter, Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter, uh, call us to be watchmen. And each week in the world ahead, we include a section on news and prophecy. Uh, This week's headlines are California's killer drought, gender confusion, uh, North Korea's war crimes. And I might mention that we do have those news items on the information table if you'd like to uh, pick up a copy on those news items. But you can also subscribe to the LCG Weekly uh, Digest, uh, which is emailed to us every Sabbath morning. And the digest includes this week, which we got this morning, commentary before St. Patrick. You know, St. Patrick's Day is Monday. The Ukraine Crisis, History and Prophecy, God and the Foundation of Science. And also in this weekly digest is a link to our sermon of the Philadelphian Mission. Then there are other news items, weather catastrophes and depression, economic coercion in Uganda. But I'd just like to ask you how many of you are receiving via email through the Internet the LCG Weekly Digest. Can I see your hands? Okay, good. That is about 24.3%. The other 75% of you, I recommend uh, that you subscribe to the LCG Weekly Digest. Let's turn to Matthew, the 16th chapter, Matthew 16. God has called us to be watchmen. Matthew, the 16th chapter, Jesus was challenged by the Pharisees and Sadducees. Matthew, the 16th chapter, starting with verse 1, Matthew 16, verse 1. Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. One of the greatest signs of the times was that the prophesied Messiah was in their presence. And they did not discern that. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign 
and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Let's turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Some members of the larger church of God cannot discern the signs of the times. Some consider Bible prophecy as so negative that they falsely believe that they should ignore it. That's extremely dangerous. They are endangering their spiritual lives. God gives us warnings for our benefit to preserve us alive. Matthew 25, verse 1. Should we ignore Jesus' warning? Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took the lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. No part of our Passover preparation and examining ourselves is to realize, are we zealous? Are we, as we heard in the sermonette, close to God in that relationship? We have a close, intimate relationship with God our Father and with Jesus Christ. And we have good relationships with our brothers and sisters. We love our neighbors as ourselves. And we are restoring, renewing that oil in our lamps daily. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They were sleeping spiritually. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Mr. Herbert Armstrong felt that he was one that was making that cry and letting the world know, yes, Jesus Christ is coming back. Prepare to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. So when Christ comes and we go meet him in the air, we will go with him to the wedding. And that wedding will be up there on that glass, sea of glass, and in the temple of God, with God the Father, with Christ. They were ready, went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Oh, brethren, I know that we are all zealous in preparing for that wedding. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. But what is the message here? Verse 13. Watch, therefore. Be alert to prophecy and news and the signs of the times. Don't ignore it and slough it off and reject Bible prophecy. Watch, therefore. Yes, there are scriptures that say watch under prayer. Certainly we watch under prayer as well. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. The message is to watch. God wants us to watch spiritually. He wants us to prepare for the challenging times ahead and to live each day by faith. But what are the signs of our time? What major prophetic events should we recognize? Do you know what to watch for? Do you know the basic outline of prophetic signs and events? Just how should we prepare? Political analysts and financial analysts and other think tank observers warn of apocalyptic dangers. And they'll use the word apocalypse, doomsday, because they know that something is 
terribly wrong in the world in many different aspects. Serious scientists also recognize the global dangers of the whole world faces. Is there really a doomsday coming on planet Earth? The term doomsday has been raised by serious scientists. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists on January 10, 2012, stated this about their symbolic doomsday clock. That's their expression. It is five minutes to midnight. Two years ago, it appeared the world leaders might address the truly global threats that we face. In many cases, that trend has not continued or been reversed. For that reason, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists is moving the clock hand one minute closer to midnight to its time in 2010, end of quote. And so there are serious scientists believe that, yes, we're five minutes to midnight to doomsday. Well, January 2014, that was a few couple of years ago, but now January 2014, the International Business Times gave this update on the serious consideration of these scientists. Quote, leading scientists have warned United Nations leaders that the planet is fast approaching doomsday. These are serious scientists, not self-appointed prophets, uh, you know, trying to exalt themselves on the Pershing Square or, or down in Los Angeles. They have warned the United Nations leaders that the planet is fast approaching doomsday and have demanded urgent action on climate change and nuclear weapons. The Science and Security Board of the Bulletin of Atomic Science said that Russia and the United States had to restart negotiations to reduce their number of nuclear weapons, to lower the alert level threshold, and to end missile defense programs. They also said that immediate action should be taken to address climate change and warned that the so-called doomsday clock stood at five minutes to midnight unchanged for two years. That was January 15, 2014. So how do we as God's people prepare for the future? One major key is to face reality. The foolish virgins were not watching. But Bible prophecy helps us to face reality, but face that reality with the faith of Christ. And I've told you the story before how I was depressed back in... Uh, 1959, when I could only see nuclear conflagration between the United States and the Soviet Union. And it was only after the good news that I heard from the World Tomorrow program, yes, Jesus Christ is coming back, and he is going to preserve the earth from total cosmocide. We pray daily, your kingdom come. But we also rejoice in the good news of Christ's second coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. And we celebrate that good news at the Feast of Tabernacles every year. We grow in love for one another. and We are our brother's keeper, as we heard in the sermonette. We also know that God is going to judge all the nations of the world during that prophetic time period called the Day of the Lord. You want to see my article in the uh, November-December 2013 Tomorrow's World magazine, by that same title, the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord includes the seven trumpet plagues and the seven last plagues, which includes the battle of the great day of God Almighty, 
more commonly referred to as Armageddon. Armageddon is coming. Doomsday for the world is coming. And we as God's people need to prepare for that time. The title of the sermon today is Prepare for Doomsday and Armageddon. In essence, our lives have been preparing for it day by day. If we're close to God and we're keeping concerned with our brethren and our mission around the world. But our hope is beyond Armageddon. This is the booklet called uh, Armageddon and Beyond. I'll just read from uh, page 38 here. Faithful Christians will inherit the kingdom of God. Then it quotes Daniel 7, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. That's what we look forward to, and we celebrate that at the Feast of Tabernacles every year. They will rule on planet Earth, serve under the King of Kings, and help billions of people during the millennium. At Christ's return, the beginning of the millennium, they will be resurrected or changed and given immortality, 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. They, verse 49, shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. They will have glory, power, immortality, and a spirit body. So our hope is in the resurrection. Uh, Dr. Meredith gave that sermon a couple weeks ago, actually January 11, 2014, titled, The Resurrection is Vital. And, of course, he emotionally referred to his wife and her death and looking forward to seeing her again in that resurrection. And we all know that, personally, Christ has told us as a high priority, Matthew 6.33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So our hope is beyond Armageddon. But we prepare for doomsday and Armageddon how? By doing God's work, as you heard in the sermonette. Let's turn to Mark, the 16th chapter. Mark, the 16th chapter. We have the missions that Christ gave us, stipulated here in verse 15, Mark 16. And he said to them, go into all the world. And now we are broadcasting in India, broadcasting in Russia, and soon perhaps even in the Ukraine, and of course in Hong Kong various places around the world. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned or judged. And these signs will follow. In my name they will cast out demons, speak with new languages, tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So God has given us that mission. Turn also, you know, to the next major reference to that mission, which is Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew 28 and verse, I'm sorry, yeah, Matthew. Yes, Matthew 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority. The, new, the King James has all power. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. We're doing that. Baptizing them into, as it should be, the Greek word ice, into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things 
that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Christ gives us that comforting promise that he's with us, he will not forsake us, and he has the authority to give us to complete the mission. And, of course, to the end of the age. The end of the age has not yet come. This is not just for the apostles in the first century. We know that Christ has given us a sevenfold mission. We have handed out to you before the sevenfold commission of the Living Church of God, which was actually outlined in the Living Church News, May, June 2009, in the article by Dr. Meredith, The Purpose for God's Church. Uh, many of us at the headquarters have had this, had this framed, and some have it on the walls of their offices. Uh, we distributed this in the Canadian Ministerial Conference uh, back last uh, year, and uh, the ministers uh, received one of these. For those of you who do not have a copy of the Sevenfold uh, Commission, it is out here on the table. We have about 50 of them, and if you do not have one of these, you'll certainly want to pick it up as the Sevenfold Commission of the Living Church of God. Uh, we are motivated. We want to fulfill the mission that Christ has given us. Let's turn to Luke, the 12th chapter. And you heard the announcements about our going on WGN Sunday mornings at 8.30. So that's very encouraging, something that we've wanted to do for quite some years. Luke 12 and verse 42. Luke 12 and verse 42. The Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. So the key here is that Christ wants to see us so doing. Now, most of us here realize that God has given us a mission to the end of the age to keep working and preaching the gospel, feeding the flock, warning the Israelite nations and the rest of the world of the great tribulation to come. But some do not. Some felt that God's church, after Mr. Armstrong died, that the work ended and all they need to do is to feed the flock. I've read this to you before, but I'll read it to you again. This is from Mr. Herbert Armstrong's last letter. It's in Volume 2 of the Herbert W. Armstrong Autobiography, and it's dated January 10th, 1986, addressed to brethren and co-workers. Continue to sacrifice through 1986 to finish the commission God has given his church, Mr. Armstrong writes. The greatest work lies yet ahead. Christ confirmed that in John 4, verse 35. Say not you that there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He continues, never before in the history of the church has it been possible to reap so great a harvest. It has only been made possible through modern technology, beginning with the printing press, radio, television, and rapid mass transit and mass communication. I personally have seen all of these technological advances in my lifetime starting in the last century through the horse and the buggy age to the current space age, end of quote. So Mr. Armstrong said, 
the greatest work lies yet ahead. And we know that. We're committed to it. And as we think about the Passover, uh, we want to think about our commitments. We are committed to do the work until the end of the age. We are committed to have a repentant attitude until the return of Christ. We're committed to serve and love our brethren and love our enemies. We are committed to accept Christ's sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. And we're committed to be zealous till the end of time. In the next LCN, which has not been printed yet, but we're reviewing it at the present time, it will be the May-June 2014 Living Church News. Dr. Meredith's letter to the brethren is titled, A Godly Fear is Necessary. He quotes Mr. Herbert Armstrong in his inspiring letter, exhorting us to have that genuine godly fear. And he warns those who are part-time Christians, that is, Dr. Meredith is warning them, who skip out on attending Sabbath services or other church activities on a regular basis, and he warns those who are more selfish and do not have their heart in God's work. So he writes, quote, that is, Dr. Meredith writes, they are not going all out to help proclaim his, that is, God's message to the entire world and honestly do all they can to support the gospel in every way. Then he quotes Mr. Herbert Armstrong. As Mr. Herbert Armstrong put it over and over, quote, the depth of one's conversion is often best measured by the degree in which a person's whole heart is in helping and supporting the very work of the living God. Then Dr. Meredith quotes John 4, verse 34, for my food is to do the will of him sent me and to finish his work. So, again, what is one of the criteria or one of the symptoms or one of the characteristics of those who are converted, who really have their heart in God's work? So what are the ways of preparing for Armageddon and for Doomsday? The best way is to prepare spiritually. As Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Luke 12, verse 43. You might turn to Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Proverbs 22. The next question is, well, we know we should prepare spiritually, but should we prepare physically? Proverbs 22 and verse 3. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. And this is also repeated in uh, chapter 27 and verse 12. So God wants us to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. He wants us to prepare. In fact, in the uh, telecast I taped just a, a week ago, it should be airing in May, if everything goes well, May 2014. It was titled Doomsday in Armageddon. And I said in that program that there are doomsday preppers. And how many of you have seen the telecast, uh, or at least parts of it, doomsday preppers? You know, see your hands. Only oh, a good about 14.4% of you have seen that, that program. But it's uh, sponsored by or 
telecast by the National Geographic Channel, and it states this about the Doomsday Preppers. Doomsday Preppers, the program, explores the lives of otherwise ordinary Americans who are preparing for the end of the world as we know it. Unique in their beliefs, motivations, and strategies, preppers will go to whatever lengths they can to make sure they are prepared for any of life's uncertainties. And this season, in the telecast series, the preppers are testing the limits of ingenuity as they developed extreme doomsday survival machines, high-tech shelters, and specialized escape routes. With customized features, super-secret locations, and homespun engineering, these extreme Armageddon defense systems are ready for anything, end of quote. But then I asked the question on the telecast, will fortresses and humanly devised strongholds protect you from World War III and from Armageddon? Where will your protection come from? Now, should we prepare physically? Certainly not to the extreme of these doomsday preppers who will arm themselves militarily with all kinds of weapons, and uh, that's not God's way of preparing for the future. We've already mentioned that there are doomsdays coming, but people, of course, see the movies like The Day After Tomorrow, uh, Asteroid, Deep Impact, and somehow get inured and hardened and don't think, well, these are just uh, science fiction scenarios. Something like that won't happen. Well, the tsunami that happened uh, and hit the uh, Southeast Asia with uh, 260,000 people killed from the tsunami and the earthquake uh, realized, no, those aren't just fantasies. There is reality that we need to face. Here in the United States, uh, thousands were made homeless. Um, Well, I should say that uh, some were made homeless down in uh, San Diego. Uh, You know, we had our office and headquarters in Rancho Bernardo for some years. And after we moved here to Charlotte in 2003, uh, we looked back and uh, there was a firestorm that came over Interstate uh, 15 towards the home that my wife and I rented. And we were in a uh, manager's meeting one uh, morning. Uh, Mr. Lehman Lyons had stayed in our home when he moved from South Carolina to uh, California. And he was seeing the fire, and he said, that looks like Mr. Ames' home burning down there. Of course, we were back here in Charlotte at the time. And sure enough, uh, Mr. Bomer got on the uh, Internet and found out that the home that we lived there on Andanza Way burned down. We went back a few years later and talked to uh, the new neighbors who had built a new home there and talked to some of the neighbors who had to evacuate during that uh, firestorm. They said, We just had to get our photo album, our children, and the pets, and we had to evacuate. And so these are realities that some of our people, even in California and other places around the world, have had to face, of course, in magnitudes greater than that. But on May 1st, 2010, a water pipe broke in the Boston, Massachusetts region, and two million people were without water for days. And I've surveyed you probably several times, asking how many of you, and I won't survey you today, asking how many of you have drinking water enough for one week in your home. 
and the Tomorrow's World special presentations and the surveys I've done, typically 10 to 15 percent of the audience say they have water to last them drinking water for one week. God wants us to be prepared physically. On February 5th, 2014, a winter storm, severe winter storm, knocked out electrical power for one million customers in the Northeast, so they were without electricity. October 12th, 2012, 7.9 million homes and businesses were without electrical power in the mid-Atlantic states and New England. What would you do if you didn't have electrical power? Interestingly enough, the Wall Street Journal, just this past week, I think it was the Thursday's paper, showed that the American electrical power grid is extremely vulnerable. And this was a study done by one of the government agencies showing that nine substations, if nine substations in the United States were attacked, and sometimes very easy just to take a rifle and hit at transformers, not very well protected, the United States would be without power for weeks and possibly months. It would mean the end of the United States. So what are you going to do if you don't have electrical power? I think, well, I do have a little charcoal. We do have a little uh, uh, pan for uh, cooking. And <laughs> my wife wasn't around. Uh, she was uh, out of town. And I was looking for some food. I was saying, what am I going to eat? Okay, well, I'll get a can of soup. Well, where is the can opener? I had it a little difficult time trying to find the can opener. Going through all the drawers, finally found the can opener, and then put it on the electric stove. But supposing I didn't have electricity. Now, some of you might have gas, and uh, you might be able to cook, but, uh, you know, you need to think ahead. And it's not unreal. These are practical steps that we need to take and be prepared. In fact, Dr. Meredith's personal in the January, February 2005 Tomorrow's World was titled, Are You Prepared? He states, quote, Our Father tells us in Proverbs 22.3, which we just read, that a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Dr. Meredith writes, Obviously, God does not want us to be cowards, but it is also obvious that a wise man or woman should sometimes hide himself, take evasive action, or be secretly let down over the city wall and flee, as the Apostle Paul did in a dangerous situation. Acts 9, verses 23 through 25. He continues, So we must each examine our own situation to determine what action we should take. Are we living in a low-lying coastal area, where we may be in danger at a time of increasing hurricanes, tsunamis, or similar natural disasters? Do we have at least a week's supply of emergency food and water, flashlight batteries, a first aid kit, a battery-powered radio, prescription medications, and other essential items? Have we read the instructions from our nation or region about how to prepare for such emergencies as hurricanes, earthquakes, or terrorist attacks, end of quote. You know, our brethren in Florida have faced uh, dozens of hurricanes over the years. And you can talk to uh, our resident Floridian, Mr. Dexter Wakefield. He's uh, out preaching at an outlying church area today. But you can talk about him. We've had discussions about uh, the hurricane devastation in Florida, where whole 
cities or small cities were destroyed and you couldn't even find where you lived because there are no landmarks, no signposts telling you where you used to live. And even here in Charlotte, older members will remember Hurricane Hugo that attacked Charlotte on September 22nd, 1989, and power was out for weeks in some areas. How many of you were here for Hurricane Hugo in 1989? Take a look at those hands, and you may want to talk to them after Sabbath services and uh, get their experiences and see what it was like and were they prepared and what lessons they might have learned from that. So, brethren, are you prepared for emergencies? Have you taken the time to set aside even drinking water for one week? And, of course, finances can be the most difficult for some people. Are you prepared for the future? Some have credit card overspending disease. As uh, Dr. Meredith advised in his 2008 co-worker letter, quote, cut way back on your use of credit cards or simply cut them up and throw them away, end of quote if you have a credit card overspending disease. Turn to Proverbs. We're already here in Proverbs. Proverbs, the 13th chapter, verse 11. Proverbs 13. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Proverbs 13, verse 11. We know our brethren are facing challenges across the country and parts of the world because of unemployment. Um, But God is providing, and he does promise to provide. The NIV translates it this way. Wealth hastily gotten will dwindle, but those who gather little by little will increase it. You know, when I was a teenager, my mother said, Richard, You just set aside 10% of what you earn in savings. I didn't do that. Had I done that, I'd been a millionaire by now. Uh, Of course, we didn't know about the truth about tithing, but he who gathers little by little will increase. Mr. Herbert Armstrong had warning articles back in 1980, 1983. It was called Standard of Living, January 1980. Prepare to greatly reduce your standard of living. Then three years later, the Plain Truth magazine in May 1983, on page 19, said, We warned you three and a half years ago. Prepare to greatly reduce your standard of living. But we do appreciate our Charlatans here because we know that many of you have gardens or you're planting something that is edible. Uh, How many of you have a garden that produces something that you could eat? Let me see your, oh, good, wow, look at that. That's a good uh, 62%. So, uh, but the rest of us can plant some gardens or even, you know, my wife planted a tomato plant one time and uh, just on the corner of the house and it just grew tomatoes after tomatoes and then the next year, without even planting it, started producing tomatoes. So even one little plant uh, can be helpful. We need to be prepared. We've had many different sermons on that. Uh, Sermon number 64, prepare for tough times ahead. Prepare for your future, sermon number 263. Be prepared, sermon number 459. Prepare to rule, sermon number 495. Prepare for persecution, number 648. 
So we do need to prepare physically for the future. 1,000 Americans were polled in April 2006 regarding their thoughts and concerns about the possible real-life doomsday events. This online study was conducted by TNS Market Research. What we learned, virtually all, 99% of Americans concede that at least one of the ten doomsday scenarios could eventually happen or potentially happen. Approximately one quarter of Americans have a strong doomsday outlook and strongly agree with the following statements, quote, I fear for the future of mankind and life as we know it could come to an abrupt end any day. Americans are divided as to whether one can actually prepare for a doomsday event. However, 24% of Americans say their household, quote, has emergency supplies ready in case of a doomsday event. So we know we need to prepare spiritually. And you know Micah 6.8. It's a memorization verse. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Micah 6. In verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So we need to have that attitude and that approach, and yet make sure that we're preparing. Is the United States government preparing for doomsday? Just the other night I was writing down some notes for the sermon on doomsday in Armageddon, and I just turned on the television set before going to bed. It happened to be the former military channel, which is now renamed the American Heroes Channel. And what did I see staring me in the face after I'd been writing notes about doomsday? The program titled, America's Doomsday Plan just right after I've been writing some notes on the subject. The United States government has plans for, for preserving the president and the government in case of nuclear attack. attack. There are extensive underground bunkers uh, about 60 miles west of Washington, D.C. There's the famous Cheyenne Mountain in uh, Colorado with underground bunkers that are designed to withstand a 30-megaton nuclear explosion. And there used to be, for 30 years, a secret underground bunkers for the U.S. government if they had to evacuate Washington, D.C., and that's in Greenbrier Resort in West Virginia. But it was exposed by a newspaper reporter in 1992, so the government could no longer use it. But uh, just a couple years ago... um, my wife and I and Mr. and Mrs. Paul Shumway actually toured the Greenbrier Bunkers Resort. And here they had their own electrical power, own hospital, uh, beds, uh, assembly hall, so that the U.S. government could uh, still survive after a nuclear attack on Washington, D.C. And so now there are other secret, uh, not so secret, uh, bunkers and refuge for the U.S. government. One is called uh, Mount Weather, uh, which just came across here recently. So um, the uh, investigative reporter wanted to go there 
and uh, but of course it was off limits. He couldn't get in there. But apparently it could hold 200 people for uh, a month, and even 2,000 could stay in this uh, Mount Weather. I think it's in uh, Virginia uh, for a temporary period of, of time. Outside of the secret uh, area, the gates, is a, a tavern. And the investigative reporter went there and said that uh, if on doomsday there's a happy hour, they'll meet here at this uh, tavern. So um, anyway, uh, it just show, goes to show you that there is danger ahead, and governments recognize it. Let's turn to Ezekiel, the fifth chapter, Ezekiel 5. This is the prophecy of thirds, and it's, uh, again, we have to face reality. We know this is going to happen. When we look at the book of Revelation, we know that one-fourth of mankind is going to be killed on one particular event and another third at another time. And so here in Ezekiel 5, we find here, starting with verse 11, Therefore, as I live, says the Lord Eternal, And again, uh, the word Lord here in the Hebrew is Adonai. Uh, God is small cap, so that is the tetragrammaton, Yahweh. So it should be read, thus says the Lord Eternal. Surely because you have defiled my sanctuary with all your detestable things and with all your abominations, therefore I will also diminish you. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. One third of you shall die in the pestilence and be consumed with famine in your midst. One third shall fall by the sword all around you. I will scatter another third to the winds, and I will draw a sword out after them. Thus shall my anger be spent, and I will cause my fury to rest upon them. So he later says in verse 6 of chapter 6, In all your dwelling places the city shall be laid waste. Now remember, this was written over a hundred years after Israel had gone into captivity to the house of Israel, And so we know that it has a future application. History has demonstrated that human beings will go to war. We've already faced two or three doomsday scenarios and crises. And uh, some of us there in Southern California in 1962 lived through the 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis. I was a freshman student at Ambassador, and I remember during the time that people all over the United States were frightened the Soviet Union had moved nuclear missiles into the island nation of Cuba, just 90 miles from the Florida coast. It was a new challenge for the new president, John F. Kennedy, and uh, we decided that, as the United States decided, to blockade Cuba and to stop the Russians from bringing those missiles by ship into Cuba. So it was a, a very major crisis. The Hawks in the cabinet, wanted to go to war. In fact, we activated B-52 bombers uh, that were at any moment ready to nuke uh, the Soviet Union. It was real. And people started buying, stocking up food. We went to El Rancho, which is the market right across from the Hall of Administration in Pasadena. And you tried to buy food. Everyone had bought everything that was there. There was hardly anything left in the supermarket. And so... We've gone through this, at least in tiny little warnings. I say tiny, it was really dangerous because here's what Khrushchev wrote to uh, President Kennedy in a letter that uh, was uh, 
24th of October, uh, 1962. This is the Library of Congress. Uh, you can find that letter. But uh, he wrote that the U.S. blockade of navigation in international waters and airspace constituted, quote, an act of aggression propelling humankind into the abyss of a world nuclear missile war, end of quote. Well, this was kind of the rhetoric. It wasn't just rhetoric. They had activated the nuclear uh, bombers for the United States just in case. Well, through secret negotiations, uh, the United States decided to take out missiles from Turkey, and so the Russians then took all their m- nuclear missiles back from Cuba, and uh, we were safe uh, once again. You know, General Douglas MacArthur, you know that quote. We've had it on the telecast several times, but it certainly is historic. At the end of World War II, General MacArthur accepted the surrender of Japan on the USS Missouri, the ship. He later repeated those words to Congress in his farewell address on April 19, 1951. He said, quote, Military alliances, balances of power, leagues of nations, all in turn failed, leaving the only path to be the way of the crucible of war. The utter destructiveness of war now blocks out this alternative. We have had our last chance. If we will not devise some greater and more equitable system, our Armageddon will be at our door. End of quote. We had that video clip on the telecast. He pronounces it, Har Magadon will be at our door, meaning the hill of Megiddo. In fact, one Bible translation actually has Har Magadon. So we need to understand that, yes, these dangers are real, and they have the government bunkers to protect the government in cases of emergency. And, you know, even when... 9-11 took place. President Bush was in Florida teaching or talking to an elementary school class, and he was taken secretly where? Uh, They knew that there was an attack. The two trade towers had been demolished. And then uh, the uh, plane flew right into the Pentagon, right there in Washington. And the fourth plane, they suspect, was headed for either the White House or the Capitol building, But the heroes on that plane made it crash in a field in Pennsylvania, preventing it from actually hitting Washington, D.C. But he was on Air Force One, and President Bush was taken to, uh, I think it was a military base in North Dakota. But these are realities, and the U.S. government has invested millions in preparing for doomsday events. And the doomsday clock still stands at five minutes to midnight. How else do we prepare for doomsday and Armageddon? We heed Jesus' warning. We understand the sequence of prophetic events. We know where we are in prophecy. And because we have that reality, we have the assurance that God is guiding us and to do his work, to warn the world, and to prepare for the times ahead. You know that sequence, but let's just review the overall sequence there of prophetic events in Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew, the 24th chapter. What was the first thing that he he said? Well, take heed that no one deceives you as the sign before the end of the age and of his coming 
that there would be great deceptions. And so we know the four horsemen of the apocalypse are interpreted by what Jesus said here in the first few verses, verses 4 through 7 of Matthew, the 24th chapter. All these are the beginning of sorrows. But then we find something else. In verse 9, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And so there will be persecution. How many of you were at my Bible study on the December weekend, that Friday night on the Sabbath services? Okay, looks like only about 35% of you, so the other 65% of you need some education. But nonetheless, as we pointed out, and I handed out a chart showing the 1335 days and the 1290 and the 1260, and we understand, as Mr. Armstrong uh, later uh, assured us in an article that he wrote in the January 1980 uh, Good News magazine, that the 1335 days will probably be the time when our work is shut down. Remember in Amos it says that there is going to be a famine of the word. People will go looking all over the place. Where uh, is there someone who can tell us what's going on? There will be a famine of the word. And while there is a health store full of God's truth and healthy bread of uh, truth, we need to be eating of that uh, time and time again. But that will be a time of testing and trial because, as Daniel said in Daniel 12, that he that waits for the blessed is he that waits for the 1335 days. The only information you have is persevering, enduring, and normally that's in the context of persecution. So what does Jesus say? Verse 10, Matthew 24, And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And so we find actually uh, in other um, locations, Matthew 10, verses 16 through 23, that uh, sons will betray their fathers, fathers their sons, mothers their daughters, and brothers and sisters will betray one another. And we as God's people have to be on guard that we are going to be loyal and faithful. We had a sermon recently on loyalty and faithfulness, that we will not betray our family. We will be faithful unto death, and we will not let that happen. But those 45 days before the 1290 uh, were going to be determined who is going to go into a place of safety and who will not. Some of us may die through that persecution during that particular period of time. But then what happens? Then we come to the abomination of desolation. But verse 13, well, you might as read the whole section. Many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. That's the great rebellion that Dr. Meredith preached on. A must-play sermon. Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, a great rebellion, a falling away, an apostasy. The whole world will be deceived. The whole world will be deceived. And when you read Revelation 13 about the beast power, the false prophet, all nations are deceived. And that's in the end time context, not just generally for all ages. And we as God's people, of course, need to be alert so we won't be deceived. Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, verse 12. We've had the exhortation and the sermonette, and now we, we need to love one another. We are our brother's keeper. 
But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, and then he says, now in a red-letter Bible, this is in black in parentheses. Whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, um, Matthew probably wrote that down, saying, look, uh, listen to what Jesus said. This is important. Whoever reads, let him understand, parentheses closed, and then continuing with what Jesus says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So the abomination of desolation is a key sign as to what we recognize and realize will come as uh, a sequence of prophetic events. Dr. Meredith's booklet, and I hope perhaps you haven't read it in some time, uh, 14 Signs Announcing Christ's Return, uh, but it might be good for you to review it if you haven't for some time. Uh, sign number 12, the collapse of the English-speaking nations, uh, the Great Tribulation. Well, let me back up here earlier. Uh, number 10, uh, a crisis strikes Jerusalem, uh, mentioning about half of the city will go into captivity. And then uh, the abomination of desolation, number 11. And then following that begins, of course, the collapse of the English-speaking nations, the Great Tribulation. So we find right after verse 15 that he talks about those that are fleeing. Let your flight not be, pray that your flight not be in the winter or on the Sabbath day. Uh, When was the last time you prayed that? Matthew 24, verse 20. For then there shall be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, Until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And so following that, key number 14 signs, number 13, uh, Dr. Meredith has here in his booklet, find it here, God promises to deliver his people, heavenly signs and the day of the Lord. So you have the great tribulation, And notice again uh, here in verse 29 of Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So that introduces the day of the Lord. And we know that uh, sequence from Matthew, the sixth chapter, if you turn, and the Revelation, sorry, Revelation, the sixth chapter. To turn back there, Revelation 6, and we find here that uh, the fifth seal is the martyrdom of the saints. Number 12, verse 12, Revelation 6, verse 12. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs, when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And people fled to the mountains, and they were frightened because apparently uh, God is going to show, that is, Christ is going to show his face. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb, verse 16, for the great day of his wrath is come. And who is able to stand? So we know that 
the sequence of events is great tribulation, cosmic disturbances, as it has in the New King James Bible on this section, or the heavenly signs. Then what follows? Of course, the day of the Lord. Uh, this is all put out in a chart in the Armageddon and Beyond booklet. This is Armageddon and Beyond, and the center chart shows those sequence of events, great tribulation, two and a half years, day of the Lord, one year. And then, of course, four ongoing events during those three and a half years. The Jerusalem is trodden down by the Gentiles. Revelation 11.2, the two witnesses for 1,260 days. Revelation 11.3, the church is in the wilderness. God is going to protect his people. And I know in some of the tomorrow's world presentations, uh, some of the rapturists say, well, the, the woman in the wilderness, that's Israel. That's not the church. I said, oh, really? Uh, does, uh, do the modern Jews accept the testimony of Christ? Because look at the last verse there in Revelation 12, and what does it say? It's the, women that, the woman that has the testimony of Jesus Christ. The Jews don't have that testimony. So it is the spiritual woman, the church, that is in the wilderness there at the end of Revelation 12 for three and a half times. And then the beast continues, Revelation 13 and verse 5. As I mentioned before, you want to hear Dr. Meredith's sermon on the Great Rebellion because then you have the false prophet deceiving these people, Revelation 13, 13, calling down fire you know, from heaven. And... Uh, He deceives, I'm just reading from Revelation 13, verse 14, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by the signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. So in Revelation 18, 23, talking about Babylon, for by your sorcery all nations were deceived. So now some have asked about the blood-red moons. There's been a prediction, the tetrads, as they're called, of the full lunar eclipses that will take place in 2014 and in 2015. They will be on the first night of the Feast of Tabernacles and on the night to be much observed. So there are four total eclipses of the moon on those dates, and it's called a tetrad by astronomers. A lunar eclipse takes about several hours to occur as the moon passes through the Earth's shadow. But one thing that is an error by those who are expecting major things because of these four tetrides or the four lunar eclipses on the holy days, that they will be blood red. No, you cannot predict that in advance. There are variable conditions such as volcanic ash, environmental conditions, that affect whether that will appear as a red blood moon or not. And we do know, of course, that the night to be much observed, April 25th, 31 A.D., that when Jesus was put into the tomb, was a partial eclipse. And when when Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said, in answer to the question, what's going on? And Peter quoted Joel 2, verses 31 that the moon will be turned to, the sun will be turned to blackness and the moon to blood on the great and terrible day of the Lord. So Peter said what they had all witnessed, and they witnessed that red blood moon 
on that date, and of course the supernatural darkness for the three hours while Jesus was being crucified. So, yes, will there be red blood moons in the future? Well, yes, there will be. And will, will any of these four be the one that we just read about here in uh, Revelation, the sixth chapter, verse 12? No. Why not? Because there must be two and a half years of tribulation before this red blood moon occurs, that is, in Revelation 6, verse 12. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be other exciting events happening, exciting events and uh, natural disasters and uh, wars and conflicts are continuing all the time. So there is also a total lunar eclipse tetrad uh, predicted for 2032 and 2033. But uh, we'll wait to see if we even get to that particular period of time uh, by then. But then what happens, of course, then you have the seven last plagues. That's uh, Dr. Meredith's booklet, the four, that's the 14th sign of the 14 signs, the seven last plagues. Of course, we read about that in uh, Revelation, the 15th chapter. Revelation 15. Verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is the wrath of God complete. Revelation 11.15, you know, is the seventh trumpet announcing the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So we have those seven last plagues that take place, but we noticed also that God's people who have overcome the beast are where? They are on the sea of glass, and they are there for the wedding. As we read in Matthew 25, that those who were ready went into the wedding, and the door was closed. So 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4, the resurrection chapters, we meet Christ in the clouds. And when you read that, it doesn't say he immediately puts his feet on earth. We go to the sea of glass for the wedding with Christ. And, of course, we read in Revelation 19.7. Well, we might uh, hold your place here in Revelation 15. But uh, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted her to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8. But Revelation 15, 2, John sees a, like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the numbers of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. Where are they? John says, I saw another sign in heaven. They are in heaven. And so as we've been teaching here over the past couple years, we will go up to God's throne. We will see God the Father. We will see Jesus Christ glorified. We will be married to Christ. And they sang the song of Moses, verse 3, the servant of God and the song of the Lamb. So we look forward to that particular period of time. And while, and when will that be? We 
expect that it will be on the Feast of Trumpets because it's the last trump. And when you read 1 Corinthians 15, 52, is it? When the last trumpet sounds, which will be the seventh trumpet, that's when the resurrection takes place. And so we will be with Christ on the Feast of Trumpets. Now, there are some Church of God groups that say that uh, the resurrection is going to be on Pentecost. Would it, why? Well, because Pentecost kind of pictures the first fruits, and so supposedly the first fruits would be resurrected on Pentecost and not on the Feast of Trumpets. Can that be? Well, just read in the Revelation booklet by Mr. O'Gwen on uh, page 38, because what happens now? If you, that's going to be about two and a half months or three and a half months from Pentecost to Trumpets. And in that period of time, supposedly, the seven last plagues are taking place. But could the world survive for two and a half months with those last plagues? This is what Mr. John O'Gwen writes in the Revelation booklet, page 38. Uh, it brings out this particular... In Revelation 15, John records a vision of seven angels with seven golden bowls that pour out seven final plagues, one after another. Listen to this. The pouring occurs rather quickly, as we see when we examine the nature of the plagues. If the second and third plagues, for instance, lasted more than a few days, all life would perish from the planet. In other words, you don't have enough time for the human beings to survive from the day of Pentecost if the resurrection takes place until the Feast of Trumpets, supposedly, when Christ would put his feet on earth. So the resurrection does take place on trumpets, not on atonement, and so not on uh, Pentecost. So you have those nine days from the Feast of Trumpets to the Feast of Atonement when Christ comes back and puts Satan away. Revelation, the 19th chapter, and we teach, we've taught this for decades. Of course, when is Satan put away? On the Day of Atonement, nine days then after the Feast of Trumpets. Revelation, the 19th chapter. Here we find the uh, Armageddon battle, which is going to be taking place because uh, part of those seven last bowls include the armies of the east going across the Euphrates, meeting with the superpowers of the west, coming down to Jerusalem, to the valley of Jehoshaphat, uh, where God will destroy all those armies. And as I said in the telecast, can you just imagine, here these armies shooting nuclear missiles at Christ as he's coming back through the air because they think he's the Antichrist. They will be deceived. But it says in Zechariah that their flesh will melt off their bones, their eyes will melt in their sockets, and their tongue will melt in their mouth. They are, they are simply stupid and foolish to think they can fight against Christ at his coming. And so in chapter 19 of Revelation, verse 11, I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Verse 14, The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Who are those armies? Some of them are angels, but they're also 
those clothed in fine linen, clean and bright, as we just read in verse 8 of Revelation 19. And so, he judges these nations, verse 17, the end of it, come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Verse 18, that you may eat the flesh of kings, flesh of captains, flesh of mighty men, flesh of horses, and those that sit on them, and flesh of all people free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, verse 19, Revelation 19, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signed in the presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. And then what happens next? Satan is put away. So this happens right before the Day of Atonement. And who are going to be with him? Of course, the saints are going to be with him. Turn to Revelation, the 17th chapter. Revelation 17. And as I asked on the telecast on Armageddon, Doomsday and Armageddon, take a look at this verse and see if it will apply to you. Verse 14, Revelation 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, talking about the ten horns and the ten kings that are part of the beast power. And the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him, as we read in Revelation 19, he came from heaven with his armies, are called, chosen, and faithful. So God has called all of us to be chosen and faithful. Will you be a part of that? I think of being with Christ coming back on a white horse, that all of us are together with all the resurrected saints, and they're putting down all the despots, as we read in Psalm 149, that this honor of all the saints to put the despots and dictators and wicked rulers into chains, this honor have all the saints. We look forward to that time. We also look forward to the time when God will give us the protection. And I would encourage you to read Psalm 91 that gives us the protection from the days of head during doomsday and Armageddon. It says in verse 3, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence, He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that will lay waste in noonday. That's Psalm 91, verses 4 through 6. That section was quoted in the Ten Commandment movie during the Passover night, you might recall. I think of... Proverbs 18 and verse 10. The name of the eternal is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and he is safe. We are now embarking upon the Tomorrow's World presentations. Dr. Meredith and Mr. Stafford in January gave one in Houston, and uh, we had uh, uh, over 200 people there, 129 new people, 
And the following Sabbath, 28 people attended the Living Church of God Sabbath services for the first time. Tomorrow, Mr. Wyatt Siselka and Mr. Ron Poole will be giving a special presentation in Asheville. A week from tomorrow, um, Mr. Uh, uh, Brian Harrison, Glenn Harrison, and myself will be giving uh, a special presentation uh, in Metairie near New Orleans. And then there are following. So I encourage you to go to our Tomorrow's World website and check on this Tomorrow's World presentations. The theme of these presentations is after Armageddon. So you can check more of that on our website. If your heart is in God's work, you'll be praying for the success and the inspiration and the effectiveness of the new time that we're going on on WGN as well as these Tomorrow's World presentations. So how can we prepare for the exciting times ahead? We need to be spiritual virgins whom Christ said, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour in which the Son of Man is coming. We need to be watchful for the signs of the times which the Pharisees and Sadducees were ignorant. We need to be committed to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and consider your commitments in preparation for the 2014 Passover, just four weeks from tomorrow night. How else can we prepare to fulfill the sevenfold mission of the church? We need to prepare physically for emergencies with wisdom, not with extremism. We need to know the sequence of prophetic events and accept and face the reality of a future World War III in Armageddon and Doomsday. But we realize that our hope is in the resurrection and in the coming kingdom of God. We trust God for his protection, as he gives us in Psalm 91, and I think of Proverbs 18.10. The name of the eternal is a high tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. And we realize that Romans 5.10, that we shall be saved by his life, by Christ's life, gives us assurance and protection and hope and faith for the future. So, brethren, let's continue to do God's work wholeheartedly, to watch and pray always, to discern the signs of the times, and claim God's promise in faith. Because Christ told us in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in Matthew 28.20, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age.